Welcome to Econ Roots, your podcast on the roots of economic thought. I'm Stefan. And I'm Otto. Let's get on with today's conversation. Welcome, dear listeners, once again to your podcast on the history of economic thought, Econ Roots. I am, as always, your host, Stefan, and joined with me, as always, is my co-host, Otto. That's good, Otto. Are you good today? I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you still a little bit sick? Well, yes. Uh, I hope it's not going to influence uh, what I'm saying too much. <laughs> Let's uh, hope not. You'll, you'll, you'll correct me if I, I make too many I, mistakes. I will. I'll try. So, um, so today we are focusing on just one prize, but it has three recipients. As you know, if you are a loyal listener, we always have three main stars of the show. And since today was a prize that has a very unique and important contribution, as most prizes do, and happen to have three laureates nominating it, we decided to group that together. Um, and it's a 2010 prize, um, and it's given for the analysis of markets with search frictions. And we'll talk all about search frictions in a moment and so on. And we'll also cover um, uh, cover the uh, the three nor- uh, uh, laureates and their bios as always. But before we do that, the reason why, or the m- main reason why search frictions became a topic for our Nobel Prize was its relation to macroeconomics, uh, particularly employment. So, Arthur, can you set the scene for us? What are we, uh, what, what's at stake here? Yes. Um, in macroeconomics, by sheer size, the most important market is the labor market. Um, so, labor market generates around two-thirds of, of all income. Um, then the, the capital uh, generates the, the last third. But it's the labor market is by far the largest market. Um, it's also a market which is uh, somewhat strange. <laughs> we talked about that uh, labor market and labor market frictions could be an, uh, a source of uh, unstable uh, uh, business cycles. So, uh, so, so, uh, in, 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 if you have a simple market uh, that is clearing all the time, uh, then you shouldn't expect um, the, the the labor market to 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 provide any particular problems. That would be it. It would be clearing at, at all times by just having a wage rate, which was rate, uh, equal to, to productivity. And uh, you, you would have it like, like if you go to the supermarket mm-hmm. and you, 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 uh, some goods are, uh, are like a, a perfect uh, market in the sense that all goods are the same. If you mm-hmm. want to buy a, a, a Coke, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't think much about taking one bottle or the other bottle uh, because if they have the same size, that's the oh, yeah. same product. Yeah. Um, but if if you go to to the vegetable uh, part of the, of, of the supermarket, there you would you, you would realize that 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 uh, goods are not the same. So, yeah. if you want to buy buy onions, uh, they could be very different, um, um, and so you have different types. And you even look at the particular product. If you want to buy 
stake it would, mm-hmm. would could make a lot of difference which stake you you buy oh yeah so and and the idea um uh, of our laureates today is that the labor market is a market with friction because uh because labor is is not a standard good oh yeah so so, uh, uh, so people are more like pears than bottles of coke exactly yeah. exactly so you would you would you would like to to match um to to, to match uh specific uh laborers with specific jobs mm-hmm. uh that could make a difference uh just just like the the supermarket will try to match uh, buyers of its vegetables. Uh, you prefer big onions. I prefer small onions. So we'll we'll choose uh, what what we like. Um, um, you, the labor market you wouldn't just uh, replace one worker with the other. <laughs> that was very few functions, and especially in the modern economy, very few, few functions where, 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 where you just have one unit of labor, which is uh, the same in, 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 every, in every use. So your productivity, to take you as an example, will, will differ a lot depending on where you work. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, you're a very clever economist and you work as an economist. Well, you, thank you, Otto. You pro- probably be much more productive than if you were uh, a cook or or an accountant or I, i'm just making i don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hear you <laughs> uh, so 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 and and even as an economist you 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 would be different uh, in different jobs um you might not be as good as as uh, working as a chief economist in a bank, as as, as doing research uh, and so on. So, so the idea of 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 matching markets is that you have some friction because people, uh, employers and employees, they are trying to match uh, one another. Yeah. Um, so before we get too much into this, because we also have to. Um, I have to just introduce the three laureates. Um, what the issue here is basically, as I hear you, is that it is not choosing is not just something that happens and it can actually take time, right? So there's differences and it can take time. And that can have ramification beyond just the act of, you know, the person choosing a job or, you know, me choosing a an apple in a supermarket or whatever, right? Exactly. Perfect. Cool. So um, we're going to talk a lot about more about that because it has a lot of really interesting and fascinating applications uh, in both policy and personal lives and so on. But before we do that, let's just um, um, let's just jump into it. So uh, the the prize was awarded to uh, uh, to Peter Arthur Diamond, uh, who was born on April 29, 1940, and was an American, um, and he is uh, an institute professor at MIT. And before that, he was briefly at University of California, Berkeley from 1963 to 65. He was born to a Jewish family in New York and actually went from relatively normal public school beginnings to get bachelor degrees 
um, uh, summer cum laude in mathematics from Yale, and then later on in a PhD from MIT. So he's back home. <laughs> he's been an elected fellow and served the president of the Econometric Society. He has served the president of the Econo- American Economic Association, and he's a, uh, a generally awarded and a fellow of oh so many places. So. Um, uh, we won't list them all. Uh, you can look that up online if you like. Um, in terms of associations, um, Ben Bernanke, who got the most recent prize, was actually once a student of Diamond. Uh, and Andre Slifer and Emmanuel Says, who both was his uh, doctoral students, and they both got the John Bates Clark Medal, which is given to the best American economist under the age of 40. Personally, he is uh, married to... Uh, uh, to uh, Kate since 1966, and they have two songs, sons. He's probably in terms of, I wouldn't say <laughs> personal controversy, that's a big word, but he's, there's a lot of controversy around a case in, um, in, 19, uh, in 2011 where he was nominated for the uh, Federal Reserve Board of, um, of Governors, and he eventually had to withdraw because he faced intense uh, opposition from the Republicans. He was nominated by Obama. Um, and um, there's a lot of debate around that. Uh, I guess um, uh, the Republican side thought that he was very much a person that supported special uh, uh, democratic type policies when it comes to um, to unemployment benefits, which we'll talk about later a little bit. On the other side, they so that was sort of like, you know, probably the worry, but at the same time, they also have a bit of a point in the fact that he hadn't really done monetary policy as well. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting debate. Did you follow that back then at all, Otto? Um, not not really. I, I can't remember. Uh, no. I can't remember. I think that, that this was on during the, the gridlock period. And so yeah. there's been a lot of that in, in the U.S. Um, um, oh, yeah. In, for a decade or or more. Um, yeah, they, uh, the worst. exactly, exactly. But, so, but it, it is, uh, of course, there is a, there is a point that because the, the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate, mm-hmm. it's not not uh, only to, to to keep inflation low, as the Euro- European uh, Central Bank has. That's just yeah. an inflation. Um, Mandate the, the U.S. has a, a dual mandate of low in inflation and low unemployment, and yeah. that can, that could be a trade-off between that and then of course it it, it could matter. Yeah, uh, who who is on on the Federal Reserve Board? So it, it could be 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 be, be quite um, uh, quite pertinent to. Uh, to 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 have an opinion on on who is uh, who is sitting on the board. Oh yeah, in that in that situation. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's an it's an interesting debate, and uh, you know, um, I think there was arguments on on both sides of it. But I think as you were saying that it, it ultimately came down to something that probably didn't have a lot to do with him, but more to do with the political climate of the <laughs> exactly. time, right? So you know, that's it. So let's. I think we should just briefly do the two other Norris bios and then talk about their theory, right? I think that sort of makes the most sense. Would you agree, Adam? Yes. Perfect. So we have uh, Dale Thomas Mortensen, who was uh, born February 2nd, 1939, and died January 9th, 2014, also American. He was born in Enterprise, Oregon, and he received his uh, Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Willamette University and a 
PhD in economics from Carnegie Mellon University. He uh, was the fa faculty of Northwestern University since 1965, where he was a professor of managerial economics and decision science at the Kellogg School of Management since 1980. Uh, he was actually also, which is interesting for Otto and me because we're Danish, <laughs> so we'll grab to any straw we can because we don't have that many Danish. <laughs> anyway, um, so he was a, the Niels Bohr Visiting Professor at the School of Economics and Management at Aarhus University from uh, 1906 to 2010. Did you meet him, by the way, while he was here? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I might have met him at a conference uh, yeah. somewhere, but uh, I it hasn't been been much of an interaction I've had with him. No. So, but he is, of course, he has this uh, Danish-sounding name. Oh yeah. Uh, so and and he is. Um, I think his his father was was. Uh, uh, Danish originally, so he's yeah. Dan he was Danish American. So he he's actually the the the, the closest we have come to a, a Danish laureate in in economics. We Danes have won all the other Nobel prizes <laughs> except for the for the one in one. economics, and he he's, he comes close. He comes close. Um, yeah. Um, cool. So there's not that much to say about him. So let's just move on to the next. At least I couldn't find that much. There's probably a lot more to say. So sorry for to, to people who knew him better. Please correct me. Uh, but um, uh, in terms of the last one today is Sir Christopher Antonio Pizarras, Pizarras, as I guess is the way to pronounce it, uh, a uh, Cypriot economist born on the 20th of February, 1948. Um, he's at the uh, London School of uh, Economics and political science um, and he is uh, also affiliated with the uh, uh, University of Cyprus uh, which is as I mentioned his native home um, he is uh, very focused on topics such as macroeconomics labor uh, policy economic growth and and so on um, and he uh, he comes from, he was born in Nicosia Cyprus into a Greek Orthodox family those of you who know Cyprus knows that it's divided between a Turkish and a Greek sign. Um, and he uh, he got his degree uh, from the University of Essex in 1970 and 71, and later on a PhD in economics from London School of Economics in 73. Um, and um, from an early on, he was interested in these things. His PhD title was called Individual Behavior and Markets with Imperfect Information, which is a building block towards search costs, which we're going to talk about. Um, he has been very influential in Cy Cyprus policy and is oftentimes used there to uh, spearhead initiatives that will lead to future uh, growth. Uh, one thing that he has himself really uh, focused on and uh, one of the latest uh, projects that he has uh, spearheaded is something called the future of work and well-being, which um, uh, he's doing with Imperial College and Warwick Business School. Um, and is something that that takes up a, a lot of his interest is, is in these areas of how work and labor is changing. Uh, one last thing we should mention, which I think is funny, is that he was knighted in 2013 for uh, his services to economics. Otto, that's a cool reason to be knighted, right? Uh, it sort of got so, me thinking because we have a very good scholar in Denmark within management science called Nikolai Fuss, uh, and uh, he's also a knight, I know. 
But I don't know if uh, if in Denmark you also get a reason for why you become it. If he's then a knight from no. for, for, for management science, which I thought would be cool. Like so, Nikolai, if you're listening, like let me know, please. But <laughs> it's <laughs> I thought it was cool. It's it, it's it's uh, well, it, it depends on who you are in, in Denmark. If if you are as I've been a civil servant, it's very easy to become a knight. Knight. Uh, so uh, I. I Declined and uh, you declined the knighthood. I, also. I, I did. So I did. I think <laughs> it's the knighthood. Uh, a little bit a ridiculous. <laughs> well, if you if you're knighted for something, if you're knighted for something, you're done. Uh, yeah. But but just uh, just just to, um, to 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 get appointed by the queen and uh, and 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 then um, you more or less automatically get a knighthood. Uh, it's. Uh, um, I I I I don't really see see the point in it. So um, oh yeah, I declined yeah. it. It's but, uh, but, it, but it's uh, if if you die, you get to put um, to, to 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 get some letters uh, on your obituary uh, in the newspaper. Oh, right, um, yeah. That's the main views of knighthood in Denmark. In 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 the UK, you can you, you can call yourself sir or lord yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just like you know, when you have a PhD and you fly, and you can use that doctor term, which is really fun until somebody comes asks you for medical advice, and you have to say, <laughs> "Exactly, you know, I'm not you that kind of doctor." To save save somebody with a heart yeah. attack, <laughs> <laughs> with your vast knowledge of philosophy. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, um, uh, excuse, uh, small excuse to our listeners. There's some background noise. I think there's a demonstration down on the street or something like that. I, I hope it's not being picked up too much. I don't know. Uh, so sorry I don't about pick that. It up. Okay, you don't pick it up, so probably people no. can't hear it. But just in case, it's not its yes. not us that's gone, gone wacko. Um, yeah, it is funny with those knighthoods before we get to search cards. I mean, they're basically in Denmark used sort of like as a uh, <laughs> as an employee benefit, right, for civil servants. Like at one point, you can't really get above a certain threshold in payment, so you can, you can become knighted. <laughs> it's, it's just it's a, people should do a paper on that, like on the uh, on the incentive value of knighthoods in the day civil service. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Anyway, so let's get back to SearchCast. So what is the consequence of it taking time matching people with jobs for the macroeconomy, Otto? Yes. It is that you can have frictions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that uh, it could be necessary for if you have if you have a shock to the economy and you have to to change the composition of, of uh, where people work relative to uh, or the, the matching between the, the, the labor force and, and, uh, and, 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 and the, where they work, it, it could take some time. Uh, and uh, that means that unemployment is not always a problem um, because the idea of search theory is that um, you should you should search, keep searching, for instance, for 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 a job, as long as your the cost of searching uh, are lower than the the, the expected benefits. Mm -hmm. So. Um, for instance, if you want to buy a house, <laughs> you probably uh, look at a lot of houses before you decide uh, because there's a very high cost of choosing the wrong house. Uh, 
on the other hand, if you, if you want to buy onions in the supermarket, as we were talking about before, uh, probably you wouldn't get that much out of keeping searching, going to 10 uh, supermarkets to look at their onions. So you would probably fairly quickly decide on an onion in the supermarket. Yeah. Um, in the labor market, you would you will keep searching until your 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 expected benefit is um, uh, balances uh, your your costs out, and that could that mm -hmm. could take some time. Um, so that means that you 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 can't necessarily bring unemployment down very rapidly because you will have to match the the labor stock with with the positions. Um, and if you do, you might have people ending up in in wrong in wrong places, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, if, so, and and one implication is that 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 you 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 should have the right incentive to to, to search. So it, it can make a sense make sense to to have uh, uh, insurance against unemployment because you could use that in insurance as a platform for searching for a new job rather than if you didn't have insurance you might uh, you might have to take the first job uh, whatever comes around mm -hmm. and uh, that would be a, 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 a poorer match uh, than than than, uh, than it needed to be mm -hmm. so but basically you're down to understanding some of the micro basis for the macro economy and macro has started out looking at relationship between very aggregate uh, uh, numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and what uh, we have to understand the micro basis for it. And, and third theory is, is is some of the micro basis for why we have unemployment. Why, oh, and why we have, we have this so-called paradox problem, problem where you at the same time have uh, vacant positions and you have unemployed people. Oh yeah, so and it's part of the problem, problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. uh, yeah. And some uh, matches are not meant to be. Oh yeah, uh, that's also an important point. Uh, you, you shouldn't match every job with every uh, job seeker. No, exactly. I mean, th those systems have been tried; they were not successful. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> yes. yeah. we, we sometimes have you have politicians say using it as an argument against immigration. We shouldn't allow immigration as long as we have unemployment uh, in in our country, um, and that assumes that that labor is uh, homogeneous; that you could just yeah. take any labor to fill the job, and and, and if you even as assume, which is also wrong, but if you assume that there is a fixed number of jobs, then it it makes sense that you should uh, uh, hire the Danes before the 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 immigrants. But in fact, they are not uh, they are not substitutes uh, to one another. Oh yeah, and it's um, it's actually very important, right? So we we we're scratching at some really important thing for modern welfare states. So obviously a modern welfare state cannot have open borders because then, you know, you know, the welfare state would probably break down. Uh, but at the same time, you know, might um, not be a problem. <laughs> that might not be a problem, but I'm just saying like you're what, what the arguments are here. Right. Um, <laughs> fair point also, but at the same time, like uh, uh, this idea that, that you can also have a, a, a welfare state with completely closed borders, uh, borders is 
equally bonkers, right? Because then you're going to need some resources that you cannot get yourself. And, and I think search theory uh, highlights a lot of those issues in a very easy to understand way. Um, um, and also there's another aspect to this, and this is, you know, you know, how you design social security and unemployment benefit systems, right? Because you can actually uh, incentivize in such a way that people spend too much time looking for what their ideal job is, right? So imagine, yeah, let's imagine a system where you were to give, you know, double people's income once they graduate for a period of two years. I wonder what that would do to to their eagerness to find employment, right? And I'm making a joke now because we, until recently, had that system in Denmark. Now it's down to one year. Yes. Uh, and of course, that means that there are certain jobs that are simply not being sought by these candidates and they wait too long. And and that might be fine if there's their own money. But since this is the common money, there's there's a welfare loss here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If 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 if, if the balance is distorted by by taxes and subsidies, uh, you, you could have end up having an inefficiently long or short uh Search periods and, and in a Danish case, it's it's it was certainly clear that that a lot of young people uh, who had recently graduated they they uh, were unemployed for uh, for much longer than than others because they had this strong incentive to be. Yeah, and that also creates another issue, which is it's not something that our lawyers talk directly about, but I think if we link it to some to Lucas and Human Capital and so on, it's interesting. So, because there is these search frictions uh, between what is demanded uh, in the job market and what people are offering or willing to do, um, if we incentivize people to pursue skills that are not that demanded, for instance, with free education and so on, we multiply that problem. We make that problem bigger, right? And that is definitely a problem in, for instance, an economy like Denmark. And 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 sorry for non-Danes out there, but this is a this is a great example where, you know, just because you have a master degree in I don't know, literature does mean that you can become an astrophysics, right? So, so you know, if people are demanding astrophysics, it doesn't matter that you can hire somebody that, that has a, a degree in literature studies or whatever in English studies. Um, and, and that's also one of the, inf one of the things that I take away from this theory. This is one of the theories that I think a lot about this idea of search fiction is that, I mean, it is actually very harmful to create systems with all the best intentions which create additional search fictions and i think that's one of the main takeaways right that that is actually something we should be very wary about when we actually lay down foundation for economic policy and that's also the link to macroeconomics right and in that way in that way it, it their theory reminds me a little bit about Bastiat's famous what is seen and what is unseen, right? Mm -hmm. like, you know, you have an idea to increase human capital because your human capital is good. We talked a lot about that in this show, right? So you might promote education, but then you don't realize that five years down the line, it actually leads to more search friction, which then rises unemployment, right? And you get, which is also some of the stuff that they talk about in other ways that you actually get a equilibrium unemployment all of a sudden, right? yes. <laughs> so, which is a really weird situation to be in when you think about it. It's, it's counterintuitive, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, if, if the listeners are interested, they can, they can sort of find the logic in the diamond coconut model, which diamond did. So uh, uh, um, where he, he explains not exactly this, but, but, but how it can happen anyway, right? In a, in a theoretical way. Um, cool. You are listening to Econ Roots, your podcast on the history of economic thought with your hosts Otto Brøns-Petersen and Stefan Kirkegaard Slykmassen. Thank you for joining the conversation.
Um, awesome stuff. So very important stuff. It's a micro foundation for macroeconomics. Uh, is there anything else we should take away? I have one more thing at least, but there is anything else you mm. think we should we should uh, talk to our listeners about? Yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I I I like this. So we talked a lot about you know <laughs> we talked a lot about the preferences on the um, uh, uh, on on both the uh, the takers and and the provider side here. One way to apply this theory is actually to love, which is really interesting. So. Uh, I am really interested in the economics of love currently. I've done a couple of interviews, read a lot of the research on it, and recently started my first proper paper within this uh, field. And I think it's so interesting to apply economics to to our most intimate part of uh, of our lives with other people, which is, of course, who we choose to love and share our lives with. And you can actually use this theory. You can use it in many different ways. So one way to use it is to try to answer a riddle that many people will recognize from their personal life is that they probably know, they know single people of both genders. Um, uh, and they know uh, probably when they think about it, most of the female things they know are generally a good catch. They are probably really well educated, has good jobs, nice looking, good personality, all that kind of stuff. Whereas those single men they know tend to have one or more flaws where it's sort of like, yeah, I understand why that guy's single. He works too much. He doesn't work out. He has a bad sense of humor, whatever, right? Uh, and why is this mismatch, right? And uh, and you can actually use this uh, this theory to explain that, saying that if you have a, a preference strategy, saying that you like somebody to meet or exceed what you're bringing to the table in a relation, there's relatively few of them the higher up you go the social ladder. So, you know, if you have a university degree, you earn a certain amount of money, uh, all these kind of things, there's a very small pool of these people, right? Um, and those people are, are being taken off the market at a relatively steady state. <laughs> so at one point, if you wait too long, there's simply nobody left that will meet your criteria and then you'll end up single. That's basically the theory. And that's why we see this mismatch between, it's not the fact that there are not other single people out there, but they simply don't match your preferences. And then, you know, hmm. there's the, the labor, the, the market is depleted unless you want to like go in and try to, uh, well, convince somebody to get divorced or something like that and, and reintroduce somebody to the market to, to use that very horrible economic way of speaking about these issues. Uh, and this is an, 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 an increasingly fascinating issue uh, uh, within, the, uh, within modern social lives, especially in big cities uh, where we see this uh, majority of single ladies. Um, if if the listeners are really interested, I did a podcast in English about this with the Copenhagen Business School called Economics of Love. So we'll we'll link to that in, in the show notes where I go more into the theory. Have you other fun examples of uh, of searches with fictions, Otto? So, uh, um, well, it's um, I, I I was just thinking about you know what uh, H. L. Mencken said about love. No, please please share. It. He, he's, he was very direct, uh, very funny too, but he, he, he said, uh, love is the illusion that one woman is different from the next. <laughs> so, but, but even if, even if it is an illusion, oh, as he claimed, uh, you would have a search, uh, search problem. Um, yeah. and so you would see this, uh, 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 Matchmaking is, of course, an extremely important uh, example. If you're looking at the matches between startups and finance, oh yeah, you'll always you'll also 
see a huge uh, matching problem. If you ask startups, they would always complain that it's it's too difficult to find capital. Okay. And if you if you <laughs> talk to, to to people who uh, who want to finance startups, they say it's always too, too difficult to find the good projects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this this is happening at the same time. Um, and and it actually makes sense. That 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 both both can be true at the same time. You can have unemployment and uh, and unfilled uh, positions. You can have projects um, that can't get money, uh, get finance, uh, while you have people who can't get rid of their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, and of course the point is you, you shouldn't match everybody. No, of course um, you shouldn't match everybody, and it it uh, it it. it, it it, 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 uh, and and this is, I think, often overlooked. That uh, it's it's not a good argument that 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 startups can't find find uh, find capital. Um, it's simply a matching problem, and if you try to solve it by by pouring uh, government money into them, you're you're not really solving that uh, that matching problem. So th- yeah. that would be an, an, another example I would use. Um, so. Basically, uh, and of course, people can uh, can claim us of being a little bit uh, uh, pro, too pro market here, but a lot of ways this these theories actually actually serves as a warning against too much central planning, right? I mean, it's because uh, the consequences can be very long and very hard to um, to disentangle necessarily, yes. right? And That's and oftentimes, true. you know. It can come with good intentions. I mean, it sounds wrong that it should be search frictions. It sounds intuitively wrong, right? We, we want to limit those, but sometimes they're there for a reason. And I think that's a good way to end it, actually, Otto, that, that you know, they, they can be artificially created, yeah. but they can also be there for, for real good reasons. And we should be careful about uh, elaborating them too, too directly sometimes, right? Yeah. I think it was uh, one thing I would uh, like to... To, to mention mm-hmm. uh, at the end of this, uh, some of the other work done by uh, Peter Diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has his work uh, famously with so-called overlapping generation models. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And uh, which is very much used today. Um, if a lot of problems has to do with decision-making over time. Um, how much should be invested now um, and consumed later. And uh, before Diamond, you would often make the the simple assumption that people would, would uh, live forever. So they would like, you, you wouldn't make a, a special time span on, on them that you will simply assume that you would, you yeah. would live for live forever. Um, but what he he introduced is the the idea of having a model where where you have the generations which are overlapping. So um, just like they are in in, in, in real in real world, uh, so uh, um, we might not get to know our great grandchildren, uh, but uh, we forget to know our children. They get to perhaps to know our our great grandchildren and so on and this especially if you're you're interested in in distribution over time <laughs> which peter diamond was uh, or is yeah. uh, then then uh, then you uh, 
this this has some implications. Um, um, the idea is if if you had a planner who is going to plan uh, over time, <laughs> uh, how how would how would the planner do that? Um, and if people live at different times, they might not do what the planner likes and uh, this this is called dynamic inefficiency um yes but basically it is it is relative to a theory thing that you should you should plan uh over time um so this this is um i think worth mentioning uh, about peter diamond um so but many of us who uh, work in this field we use uh, overlapping uh uh, generation theory um, has provided some some new insights. Even if you uh, if if you're not into dynamic inefficiency, but of course, if if you look at 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 modern day welfare state problems, a lot of them have to do with the face uh, or the fact that that public finances are not sustainable over mm -hmm. time, and um, uh, especially as the uh, composition of of the the population changes we, we became uh, there are becoming uh, more uh, people who are uh, or rather a, 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 a larger percentage of the population is, is elderly then this this could have uh, very important implications and we're looking in a lot of countries you're looking into serious problems of of how to sustain uh, welfare welfare systems that's overlapping the generations the models are, are important he has also contributed to uh, to to some in interesting results in uh, optimal tax theory oh yeah i uh, didn't know that yes oh. um if the the the, the idea in in optimal tax theory is how should you how should you tax uh optimally mm -hmm. uh, given constraints on your instruments and of course it's it's uh, uh, first best you should if you have a tax instrument that is non-distorsive then you should um, uh, use that oh, yeah. um, and uh, the problem is it's not always that popular you could always have a lump sum tax uh, that everybody pays the same, uh, that would take care of distortions in the tax system. But what happens if you you, you are only allowed to use distorting taxes? Mm -hmm. um, and a very important insight that uh, Peter Diamond was um, uh, part of, 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 of proving is that if you're going to distort, you shouldn't distort prices on the production side. So it's called the production efficiency theorem. Mm -hmm. So uh, you shouldn't tax. Uh, you shouldn't tax on the production side. Uh, you should tax uh, income from labor, mm -hmm. and you can tax uh, consumption. Consumption, yeah. Uh, which is basically if, if basically if, if you tax oil consumption the same, you're basically take taxing labor again. So you have yeah. the distortion from the labor taxation, but you will have less distortion if you if you uh, tax, uh, for instance, intermediate goods um, uh, in in production. So you should leave prices in production 
Uh, so you'll have less than, right? Sorry, I think you misspoke there a little bit, right? You you'll have less than if you if you if you tax intermediary goods, right? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. You shouldn't tax intermediary yeah, goods. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Oh. Cool. Right. Well, interesting. I didn't actually know he yes. contributed that fuel. So that's uh, yes. that's cool. Awesome. Well, I think that's it for now. Um, so um, th- once again, thank you, dear listeners, for staying with us on this journey we have two more regular episodes left of the season and then we'll just continue with the next season so it doesn't really that matter that much but whatever for some reason we decided to do uh 12 episodes see regular episodes per season um so um thank you very much and thank you Arto. um thank you and uh, see you next time and uh, until next time dear listeners stay rational thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us exploring the history of economic thought you are welcome to email comments and suggestions to stefan at cpas.dk. Please like and share and recommend this podcast anywhere you can and think it's relevant. Until next time, stay rational. Yeah.